The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, verses 13 through 20. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Um, as Ben said, I do most of my teaching in the kinder kids room. Um, <laughs> So it's basically the same thing. You know, actually, I'm the guy. I don't, have you ever like been in that area when those, that's going on? You've maybe heard a bunch of kindergartners chanting, draw it out, draw. That's, that's because of me. I'm sorry if, if parents have dealt with that, but uh, I always draw out really bad stick figures and things while I'm teaching. So um, nothing here to draw. So we'll just do it the old-fashioned way today. Uh, but we have a lot to go into, so let's jump right in uh, with some prayer and let's focus our hearts on God's word this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity to come and gather together as, as your church. Lord, um, we, we spend the whole week scattered apart from each other and it's just a nice, uh, it's just so good to come back together and to, to, to sing these songs together and to go through the liturgy to be reshaped and reformed by the, your gospel, Lord. Lord, we, we come and we bring a bunch of junk in here with us and it's, it's distracting and it's frustrating and it's hard and it's heavy on us. And Lord, there are people who are hurting and people who are suffering, Lord. And uh, we don't come and, and stuff those things away, but Lord, we present them to you. We hold them in our hands and say, Lord, it's, it's yours this morning. So Lord, we don't stuff them away, but Lord, we, are just, we just make ourselves more present to you. Lord, so open our hearts up to you. Open our minds, our ears to you, Lord. Open our hands that we may hear from you this morning. Lord, speak through me and let my words be your words and let all of us um, just have a greater sense about what you're calling us to as we hear your word preached, Lord. Lord, we lift all these things up to you in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so last week we discussed how Jesus is moving from teaching to summary and we talked about the golden rule, right, as the summary of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but today, he's moving from summary to a call to action. And there's a big tone shift in the sermon, if you, if you maybe you noticed, right? Uh, now that you've heard the teaching, Jesus is saying, now that you know what practicing the way of Jesus looks like, what will you do? What are you going to do? Right? And Jesus doesn't limp in with a gentle suggestion here. Right? He says, hey, if you want to follow me, you've only got two choices. 
Now to our sensitive 2021 ears and hearts, this is uncomfortable. Well, this isn't fair. I'm going to keep my options open, right? I, 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 don't, I don't want to have to RSVP early to this, right? I'm going to, I'm going to think about it if I want to actually do this, right? At the very least, we say things like, don't tell me what to do. I'll decide for myself. But to the early church and those listening to Jesus, these two choices he's offering are actually very familiar. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. See, Moses identified that there are really only two responses to God. When you come face to face with God, there's only two choices. You either obey God by loving him and walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and thus experiencing an abundant life, or you turn away from him. You say, no, thank you, God. Right? Disobeying him by turning to other gods and serving them instead. And as a result, you would perish. Right? There's no half seas here. There's no, like, just, I'm going to ride the fence. It's right in the middle. There's no half seas. So when Jesus commands the listeners to enter by the narrow gate, he's telling us what true discipleship actually looks like. If you really want to follow me, this is it. Right? There's only two choices in following Jesus. Either you are all in or you are all out. And it looks like two paths. All right, the first path is easy to walk. It's paved nicely. It's been plowed. No potholes, right? It's nice and smooth, really easy. It's probably great signs. You know exactly where to go. This is great. And if you get, get a little tired, there's probably some beverages along the side of the road, right? All right? All these people are walking. This is great. Most people are here walking this easy path. I must be in a good place. It's got to be good if everyone else is here, right? This looks like the, the popular place. I should keep walking this. The problem is, on this path, no one's asking anything of you. Right? It's, it's totally on your own time. If you want to walk, you could do whatever you want to do. Right? If it's, if it's comfortable for you, your comfort is, is, is the primary purpose of this easy path. Whatever you need, you know, whatever your truth is, you just honor your truth as you walk this easy path. Right? It's safe. It's all your desires that you have. It could, you could find it here on the easy path because it's asking nothing of you. But Jesus said this path is easy, yes, and the gate is wide, yes, but it leads to certain catastrophe. That if you'd walk this path, you would experience certain destruction. Now, this destruction we're talking about isn't like, I had a really bad day today. My whole world just feels destroyed today. But we're talking about destruction that ends in eternal loss. All right, it's the path that we choose when we resist and turn away from true discipleship. But the other path, the path of true discipleship, Jesus says, is, is harder to find. It's off the beaten path. 
It's not something you're expecting to see. It's more rugged, right? It's more challenging. It's more demanding. It's sparsely populated. There's no one, there's no one on this path. I get it all to myself, I guess. It's a little unnerving, right? It demands something from you as you walk it. You have to be willing to seek out this path. You're willing to push through and fight against the popular crowd walking that easy path because you're walking that path and everyone's going the same direction. And I want to go over here now. It's kind of like, uh, I imagine if you, and this is maybe a little strange for us to think about now, but imagine being in a big sports stadium again. Right, all these people, and the game's over, everyone's cheering, excited, everyone turns and walks the same direction out of the stadium. Or like a movie theater, the, movie, the credits are rolling, everyone gets up in their seats and starts to walk down that one path, right? And you're with them, you're walking along, and then you decide, wait a minute, I, I left my coat in my seat. Well, you better like, put on your football helmet and like, make it happen, because you're going to have to plow through that crowd to get back to your seat. Some, some people are like, I'll just go on Amazon and buy a new, new coat. It's fine. I don't, I don't need it. Right? You, to push through that crowd, you have to push through all these people to get to this narrow path. If you want it, you have to fight for it. Now, Jesus says that few people will walk this path and few people will find the life at the end of this path because in order to actually get this life, you have to be willing to give up your own life. Right? This is the paradox of life in the kingdom. Right? In order to receive life, you have to be willing to lay your life down. Right? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Absolutely. But we can only experience this ease and lightness when we do the hard work first of surrendering to him. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that's hard, right? Because whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, the call to follow Jesus is all-consuming. You can't just dip a toe in and be like, I'm just going to try this out. You know, this is going to be nice. It's a little cold. I'm just going to try it out. Like, is that good? Like, no, 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 it can't be that way. It's a constant surrendering of, of your life, of repenting when you sin and fail, of remembering your redemption. It's also resisting when you feel called back to that easy path, when it seems like, I just want to walk with the crowd. You see, the journey of discipleship is fraught with temptation and danger. As believers walk that hard path, there are people and things that are trying to distract you, that are pulling at you, begging you, needing you to return to that easy path. To say, can you give up that, that rugged, pothole-filled path? Man, it's hard. Don't, don't walk on that path. Come back over here with me on the easy path where everyone else is walking. It's so nice and paved. It's so wide. It's great. People are calling us to that. And over the next few weeks, you're going to see and, and feel that in the Sermon on the Mount here. Jesus is talking about what happens when we miss on discipleship. When we don't choose the hard path. That if we don't resist, we can find ourselves easily back on that easy path. And today, I think Jesus is showing us and he's calling us to resist abandoning God's truth for false teaching. Let's look at this. Verse 15. 
Jesus says this, beware of false prophets. Now, prophets are people through whom God reveals truth. Right? Prophets were considered people that could speak directly from God. Right? They would be saying things like, you know, God is saying X or, uh, you know, thus saith the Lord. Right? These are the prophets we're thinking of. We're, we're thinking of people that are you know, like, you know, big robes with long hair and big beards. Right? That's what we think of prophets. But today, we don't really have those types of things happening. But what we do have, we have people that are, are preachers and pastors and religious leaders and people putting podcasts out there and YouTube videos, right, saying that they know and understand and proclaim God's truth, right? So we can take the concept from this passage and apply it to anyone who would sit there and say, yeah, I know what God is saying to us, right? So those are prophets. False prophets, then, are people who take a similar approach but with several key distinctions, that Jesus reveals to us in this passage, right? So the first thing we see is that false prophets speak falsely of God's truth. All right, and this is an obvious distinction, right? Of course, like it's in the, in the name, false prophets. He's speaking falsely. But it's super important that we understand this. All right, the danger of a false prophet is that the words they speak sound like God's truth, but they lack important elements that make it false, right? Perhaps it's poor doctrine or poor theology. Perhaps they've applied the, the passage incorrectly or they've twisted the logic of it and, and twisted the truth of it to make it uh, fit their selfish needs and reasons. A false prophet is more dangerous the more truth their falsehood contains, right? There's a quote that says, an error no wider than a hair, right, will lead one 100 miles away from the goal. Think about it. If I, if I sit here, I'm, I'm going to walk all the way to, uh, to, to, to Locust. And I'm going to say, if I just go straight, I'll get there. If I just go like, like this, right, and start walking, it's going to take me woo, really far off that path, right? right so just a tiny bit, a half-truth, or a, a slightly false truth. Just, oh, just a tiny bit of false truth is still not truth. All right, the end result is going to be the same. False prophets will lead the listener away from God, not towards God. Now listen to how false prophets are described in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. All right, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, right? They don't like God's truth and, and what God is saying. They don't like it. False prophets are saying to those people, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, false prophets say, no, disaster shall come before you or come upon you. Right? The false prophet is helping believers abandon obedience and repentance. Foolishly saying that the hardness of their heart and the, the sin that they're mired in, they're foolishly saying, it's okay. You're still so special. You don't have to repent. You're fine. Or they're drawing people away from that, saying that it's not a big deal. And this sounds horrendous. Like you're probably listening, to, well, who would do that? Why would, that's, who would ever listen to something like that? That's crazy talk. But the second distinction, 
I think it reveals to us why this happens. Okay, the second thing that Jesus says is that false prophets are outsiders pretending to be insiders. Okay, Jesus says that false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Right, when sheep see a, a wolf or a rabbit dog, of course, they're, 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 they're on guard. They're ready. You know, they're, you know, they're standing at attention. All the sheep are ready to go. And okay, like, we see the danger and we're ready for it. But when they see one of their own, look at that cuddly sheep. It looks just like me. Right? This wool is so, I just want to go on, <laughs> nuzzle on the wool. Right? He's so soft and cuddly. He's got to be just like me. Right, we draw my name. We, we drop our defenses and say, he's just another sheep. This is great. Because of someone's outward appearance, what they look like, we lay down our defenses and fully trust this person. Right? All a false prophet needs to say is just a few key phrases. Get some Bible you know, logic in there, right? Maybe post a few Bible verses on their Instagram. Um, you know, have the right hashtags. Go out and, and buy some tight flannel shirts. Buy even tighter jeans. Um, grow the beard. Woo, the bigger your beard, man, the better you are. Boom. You're in. Right? You're in. That's all you need. And that's the point. False prophets need to look like insiders in order to convince you to abandon truth. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Right? Peter is saying that those, that there are people, because they've dropped their defenses, will be drawn in by the sensuality, like the, the persuasiveness, the charisma of, the, of that false prophet. Right? Sensuality here is described as unbridled lust, right? Of, of shamelessness. And we're prone to follow people like that. The, the most charismatic, the loudest person. We decide at the outset that, hey, this person's one of us, so I couldn't shut off all sound judgment. I can shut off all wisdom and discernment. All in the name of meeting my worldly needs. If he makes me feel good, then I'll whatever you want. All right, the, ra the ravenous wolves hidden by sheep's clothing shamelessly ply destructive heresies without a care for how you will receive it, only that it will line their pockets or make them more famous and make their star rise, right? As long as it meets their sinful needs, they don't care what happens to you. And this is evil to the core, and the Bible is very clear that destruction and condemnation is, is waiting for them. But it still feels unnerving to us. It still feels a little scary. Like, oh, that happened to me? But the final distinction that Jesus makes actually uh, is encouraging. Okay, the, second, or the third thing he says is you can spot false prophets in the world. You can see them. Right? This isn't some weird like murder mystery you're always like, oh, who's the killer? We don't know. Like, it's not the case. 
Right? Jesus says you can know. Jesus has made God's truth plain for all to see. It's right here, right? We, we can know God's truth. And as a result, and with this, that Jesus has given believers the responsibility then to identify false prophets, right? those who would teach falsely. And this is hugely important to how we understand this passage, right? Jesus isn't talking to the false prophet. He's talking to you as believers, right? You catch that. He's not talking to false prophets. He's not saying, hey, don't be a false prophet. He's saying, believer, watch out for false prophets. Because here's the deal. We're always going to have false prophets. We're not going to like somehow rid the world of false prophets uh, because we just are strong enough, right? It's going to happen. We get rid of everyone. Uh, someone's going to pop right up. They'll, they'll sense that vacuum and say, boom, I'll start teaching and making money this way. This is great. Right? We're always going to have them and, and their, their doomed fate is assured, right? We, we're okay. We got that covered. But what's left is you. What's left is your heart, your discipleship, your commitment to follow Jesus. All right, so what I want you to understand today is this. The burden to resist false teaching isn't on the false prophet. It's on you. The burden's on you. And there's two ways Jesus says we can resist false teaching. All right, we can recognize false prophets by their fruit, and we can actively guard our hearts. All right, so let's start to unpack some of this uh, as we explore our, our passage a bit more. All right, Jesus says that we will recognize false prophets by their fruits. Jesus makes it very clear that you'll be able to tell who's a false prophet um, based on the results they produce. Okay, when, when the Bible talks about producing fruit, right, it's describing the externalized result of an internal reality. Right, Luke, in his account of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouse speaks. It's a simple equation. What comes out of you comes from inside of you. Okay? And Jesus hammers this idea home in this passage, right? First he says, he talks about the impossibility of delicious fruit, right? The grapes and the figs coming from something that's only negative, right? Only breeds negative elements, right? All, all these thistles and things, all they give you is ouchies and boo-boos, right? There's no good fruit here. You're not finding grapes there. Second, he says, hey, you've got healthy trees with healthy roots and healthy growth, healthy care. It's going to produce healthy fruit, of course, and the opposite is true. If a tree has poor roots, poor nutrition, poor growth, it's going to produce ugly, diseased fruit that gets thrown out. And thirdly, he doubles down on this imagery and says, a healthy tree simply cannot produce bad fruit and vice versa. Right? There's no confusion here. If you see negative, poor, diseased fruit, you have an unhealthy tree. Right, there's this popular like, kind of cliche out there that says things like, you know, he means well, but, you know, yeah, he looks rough right now. He's done this to me or whatever. But on the inside, I'm sure he's a good person. I'm sure she's fine on the inside. Right, Jesus says this is impossible. Right, what you produce on the outside is indicative of the condition of your heart. 
Now, are we talking about occasional sin or occasional failure in that? Not necessarily. For even on the narrow path, um, sin will sometimes overtake us, right? We, we know that's true. All right, if you forget to water a tree one day, it's not going to automatically produce bad fruit, right? I'm, I'm terrible at watering. I have a little, little plant, a hanging plant. I, I water it like maybe once every two weeks, so I'm sorry. Shame on me. But it's okay. It's, it's still hanging on, right? But continued neglect, prolonged disdain, Right? Just staying away from it will always produce a negative result. The diseased heart that produces bad fruit is a heart that refuses repentance, that refuses obedience, refuses faith. And this diseased heart is destined for certain destruction and downfall, according to Jesus. And this will always show in a false prophet. It will always show. It may take some time, but it will always show. But it begs the question, what should we be looking for, right? Jesus says we'll recognize them by their fruits. So I think there are, uh, if we're looking at fruits, I think there's three types of fruit to be looking for, right? How they live, the content of their message, and the effect their message has on others. It's kind of like three legs of a stool. If one of these things are out of whack, the whole thing falls over, okay? So first, how do they live? There's a simple presupposition Jesus is making in this passage, right? True loyalty to God will naturally result in God-honoring behavior, right? That's, that's the assumption here. And however plausible someone's words may be, however nice they sound, right? Someone's true nature is always revealed by the life that they live. In other words, we can see the condition of someone's heart by the actions they produce in their personal life. Right, Paul says that our actions come about by how we are being led. Right, he says that we're either being led by the desires of our flesh, our sinful hearts, or by the Holy Spirit. Right, let's look at what, this, what he says here in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there if you want. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. And we'll see what Paul says here about this. So Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not be, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, right? For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, right? We're looking, we're here looking for bad fruit in here now, right? The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are led by the desires of your flesh, your life is going to look like that. You're going to produce the fruit that Paul is describing here. And a life lived like this is wholly incongruent with the word of God and is a dead giveaway for a false prophet and false teacher. Right? When you can witness the life of a spiritual leader, you can have confidence in the basis and foundation of their message. I think this is why being in a local church is so important. I think of how our life has shifted over the last 20 years, right? Uh, 20 years ago, uh, when you wanted to go to church and hear someone teaching, you had your local church. You had maybe your buddy's church you could go to, 
right? You had the local pastor. You had maybe a conference you could go to. That's about it. Maybe you, like, you got like, I don't know, cassette tapes at 20 years ago. We probably had something like a Napster and download some stuff maybe. But right, that's, that's what you got. But nowadays, you can get access to anything. Whatever your heart desires. Whatever lines up most close with your political views. Right? Or how, how you, what you sense is most important to you. You can find someone talking about it. Right, you can go out there and get that. Whatever matches your personal thoughts, your opinions, your feelings on any topic, you can find it. But all you see is a finished product. You're watching a highly polished YouTube video, a highly edited podcast. You're seeing just that. You don't get to see how this person's living their life. Right, but here, you show up here. You can brush shoulders with everyone who's leading here. You can, you can, you can brush shoulders with Pastor Justin and, and be an MC with him, right? You can watch Ben and Joel chase their kids around, right? You can, you can uh, spend time talking to Pastor Alex about um, how Karate Kid 3 is a perfect example of false prophecy, right? You can do those things. Check it out, it's crazy. Karate Kid 3 matches up perfectly with this. Anyways, that's besides the point. You can do those things with the people that you're serving alongside, Right? You can see your pastors and your elders' strengths. You can see their struggles, their shortcomings. You can see their growth. You can see their heart. Right? You can know all these things as they stand up here to serve you and to preach to you and to lead you. And there's confidence. Right? There's confidence knowing that, um, that what their hearts look like and what their life looks like matches what you read in Scripture. I'm not saying that technology access to all these great preaching is bad necessarily, but like uh, I think in the Spider-Man movies he says, you know, with great access comes great responsibility, right? If we are going to access all these things, we have to make sure we're watching and, and listening. And it leads us to the next type of fruit, right? The next thing we can see is the content of someone's message, right? If we can't see how they live, we have to be listening then to what they say and teach, very simply, if the message they deliver and the truth they claim doesn't match up with, with what you read in the Bible, it's false. Right, we need to weigh the words that are being spoken, not simply consuming them with ignorant trust. There's a great example of this in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are, are, are sent to Berea to preach and share the gospel. And they're in a Jewish synagogue and the Jewish people there are listening to the gospel and they're, they're loving it. Like, yes, this sounds great. We like this. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says they received the word with all eagerness. Like, yes, this is great. We like it. But then it says they examined the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Right, so they heard this exciting message and they guess this, this is matching up with who I am, the passions in my heart, but let me turn to God's word to see if that's true. Not just taking their word for it. And you should do the same for me. You should hear what I'm saying to you and go, okay, let's see if this if he's, if he's, if he's true. If what he says is so. Right, we can't just simply take their word for it. We have to be willing to constantly examine what is being said, what we hear, weighing preachers' words in light of God's word. And it leads us to the last type of fruit. And that's the effect their message has on other people. And we can recognize a false prophet by how their followers act. When I think about it, their followers will look just like the false prophet. They'll be egotistical. They'll be proud, self-centered. 
right? They'll be self-indulgent. They'll be self-satisfied while also being religious. They'll be self-oriented and even group-oriented, but they'll never be Jesus-oriented or, or, or scripture-oriented. If you simply take the preacher's word for it and give yourself over what they're saying, what is produced in you? What happens to you when you hear those things? Are you then building the kingdom of God or are you building the kingdom of self? Are you, do you look more or less like Jesus after consuming their teaching? And this is a hard one to face up to because false prophets can make us feel so good. Right? You can listen to teaching and go, this is great. I'm going about my day and I'm, I'm excited, right? They make us feel wholly justified. They make us feel like that what we believe and what we do is totally right and it's the only way to do it. They blind us to the truth. And that's intentional because if we knew the truth, we'd walk away from them, right? Of course, if we, saw, if we knew the truth for ourselves, we'd say, this isn't, this isn't right. I'm, I'm walking away from this. And believe me this, if the money and the power and the fame and success starts to dry up from the false prophet because people are walking away from them, they're going to change that message right up. Hook you right back in. No, no, come back. Because they aren't leading you to Christ. They're interested in that. They're leading you back onto the easy path, right back to them. We must be aware of the impact that preachers are having on people. So if you're trying to recognize a false prophet, we need to look at all three of those things for sure. Right, but what kind of fruit should we see? Right, what, what do we want? When we look at our, uh, the followers of, of people and we look at the, the people themselves, look at ourselves, what should we want to see here? Right? I think it starts with the rest of that Galatians passage, right? So Paul says that when our life is driven by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces good fruit in us. It produces a certain distinct kind of fruit that, that looks more like Jesus. So listen to what it says here in Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at verse 22 here. But the fruit, the good fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? When we are led by the Holy Spirit, this is the good fruit we want to see. Right? That if you belong to Jesus, you will have put to death that earthly desires of our heart, right? And though we may stumble, the aim of our hearts is being directed by the Spirit. And it leads us to become more like Christ. And as the Spirit is, is leading us to become more like Christ and starts to shape us and produce this fruit in us, right? As the Spirit is doing that in us, our character starts to become more like Christ. Right? Who we are on the inside, it starts to be shaped to look more like Jesus. And as we develop Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct, good fruit bursts forth from us. So we look for the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of our pastors and our leaders and our elders and in ourselves. We ask ourselves, is this person, am I filled with uncommon patience? Is this person who's teaching me? Is, is this person gentle in ways that maybe they shouldn't be? Is this, does goodness and kindness pour out of me against all odds? 
These are the people we should be looking to follow, right? And this is the person I want to become. So we have that. We, our first resistance is by recognizing false prophets. The second thing we do and we have, we should resist by actively guarding our hearts. So back to verse 15 again, he says, uh, Jesus says, beware, right? look out. And the Greek word used here is prosecho. And prosecho literally means to hold to something, to cling to something. All right, it's used to describe when you, like when you tie a ship up uh, to, to the dock, to something permanent to prevent it from drifting away and floating away. Right? It's used also when, to help us remain on course, to keep us from moving off the path. When Jesus says, beware, he's not asking us just to notice something. He's not saying, just, just look out here and, and see what, what this feels like and looks like. But he's saying, actually guard yourself. Tie yourself, anchor yourself to something important. Right? Anchor yourself to me to prevent yourself from encountering something harmful. Right? Jesus is calling us to proactively guard our hearts against false prophets, but also against our own hearts. Listen to Paul, when he's encouraging Timothy, says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Right? And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Right? If we don't guard our hearts, we're likely to simply chase after the desires of our hearts and allow anyone who matches that and who speaks directly to those desires to be our guide. Right? We'll just, whoever comes along, whatever you say, I'm, I'm, it matches what I feel, so I'm, I'm right with you. We must be aware, beware by being ready to play defense, by be actively guarding ourselves. And we can do that uh, as we actually guard our hearts. We have three weapons at our disposal to do this. And the first thing we have is the Holy Spirit. At the moment you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, we were promised the Holy Spirit as a sign and seal of our inheritance in Christ. Our Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will be our helper, our advocate. He's the spirit of truth. And as the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will guide us to all truth. And if we fade from the truth ourselves, the Spirit will, will convict us of that sin and enable us to return to Jesus. So hear this. You aren't alone in the battle uh, to resist false teaching. I don't hear me today as saying, like, you, you are on your own. Jesus isn't saying you're on your own. He's saying to resist, but he's giving you someone to help you resist. If you find yourself struggling with preaching content. Maybe you're, you're listening to something, our podcast, like, I don't, is this, is this good for me? I don't like what this is producing in me. I don't like what my life looks like. Or I, I'm seeing what this guy's followers are doing and, and how they're treating people, how they're living their life. And I go, is, is this what I should be doing? If that's the case, right, seek out the Holy Spirit's guidance through prayer. Dive into prayer and ask the Spirit to guide you and reveal the truth to you. And oftentimes, as you do that, the Holy Spirit will, will actually work its way out through the next weapon we have. And that's God's word. Okay, listen. To, oh, this, whew, okay. I'm gonna read this quote to you. Um, and it singed my eyebrows off when I first read it. So this is J.C. Ryle. He's an evangelical Anglican bishop from the 1800s. And he says this. Hang on. What is, this is a longer quote, so hang on there. What is the best safeguard against false teaching? Beyond all doubt, the regular study of the word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The man who reads it aright will never be allowed to greatly err, right? You won't, you won't walk away if you know it. It is neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. Right, these people who fall prey would have us believe that, hey, I'm not learned. Right, I, don't, I don't have an opinion on this. I don't have decided opinions, right? What he's saying is that these people who fall prey will say, well, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know the Bible. That's, there's some big words in there. I'm not gonna, you know, I just, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not gonna preach, so I'm not gonna read that. It's not for me. I don't have a, a strong opinion on it. I'll just, I'll just sit here, right? The, okay, the plain truth, this is his words, not mine. The plain truth is that these people are lazy and idle about reading the Bible and do not like the trouble of thinking for themselves. Nothing, nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as spiritual sloth under a cloak of humility. Do you hear what I'm saying? What, what J.C. Ryle's saying to you today. Right? If we sit there and say, well, you know, I'm not going to get up and read my Bible this morning. I'm tired. That turns into the next day and the next day after that and a week later and months later and you haven't touched your Bible. And no wonder, it's no wonder when the first person that comes and speaks something that, that speaks to your desires, you give yourself fully over. But we have to know God's word. People, there's no substitute for it. You can't say, well, I don't know enough or I'm not smart enough or, no, no, you dive into it and you, you work at it, you consume it, you wrestle with it. You have to know God's word in many ways. God's word is all you need to resist falsehood. Jesus, when he was being tempted by Satan in the desert, remember what happened there? He's out there and, and Satan's whispering to him, come over to the easy path. Come, listen to me. And you know how Jesus resisted? Not by being some supernatural powerhouse. Not by being Captain America or anything like that. No, he resisted with God's word. He said, that's all I need to resist, Satan, is God's word. I know it. And guess what? You can also know God's word. If you aren't reading it, for consuming this and embracing this and wrestling with it, Someone else will shape your view of truth for you. Right or wrong. You can't weigh what I'm saying accurately unless you yourself know what the Bible says. We have to know what God's word is. And the third thing we have in the resistance is each other. We have community. Right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in Life Together. He said, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word, weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. Right? His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Right? When you feel weak, when you feel drawn to, to the falsehood, when you feel like, this doesn't feel right, what do I do? You turn to your brother and sister in Christ and ask them and they will graciously and lovingly smack you upside the head with God's truth. Because they're not struggling with that same thing. They can see clearly and say, no, 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 you are wrong here, man. Get back off of that. Get back on the hard path. We need each other in the midst of that. 
Right? Though I, I may be failing, my brother or sister may not be failing. This is so crucial. We need other Christians to point out when we are not believing the gospel. Right, where our selfish minds and desires have pulled us off the hard path onto the easy path. And though we ourselves may fall uh, into false teaching traps, our brothers and sisters in Christ can help pull us out. Just like you can do for them. All right, the nature of each of these weapons is that uh, in resistance is that we need to seek them out ourselves. Right? We need to be willing to take that upon ourselves. Right? We would need to seek out the Holy Spirit and seek out God's word. Right, that we would seek out community and be an MC together. Right, the burden is on us. We can't simply cross our fingers and like, I hope no one deceives me today. No, we have to be aware and ready, guarding our hearts. We have to anchor ourselves to Jesus by the Holy Spirit and God's word and fellow believers. Otherwise, we'll, we'll drift right back on to the easy path. Now, as it close today, why all this? Why? Why does Jesus care so much about this? Why is this so important to Jesus? And I think Jesus wants us to be aware like this because he wants us to experience the true fullness of his grace, the true fullness of truth and redemption, the kingdom of God, the fullness of that. You see, Jesus doesn't offer you a half measure. He doesn't give you like a discounted experience, like, a, like an airline offering you a cheaper fare for less perks, right? It's not how he operates, he says, you're either all in, you're all out. And Jesus himself is all in. The real danger behind false prophets and teachers is that in offering you a half measure of truth, they're actually robbing you of the full experience of Jesus. All right, if they're giving you the discounted experience, the discounted false truth, they're saying, no, 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 don't experience all of Jesus. When they offer you that easy path and the wide gate, it can feel cheap, it feels worse. Is, is this all there is with Jesus, really? Yeah, it's going to feel cheap because that's not actually what Jesus is calling you to. Right? This is the narrow gate and the hard path that you would give up your life completely so you would find your life completely. Right? The baptismal call of faith, faith is not one where you say, oh, I'm going you know, to be buried in the water you know, and, 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 and oh, this is going to be great, but I'm going to hold my, my phone and my keys and my wallet and, and all those little pieces of my life I don't want to let go of. I'm going to hold them above the water. So when I, you know, down in the water, they, they don't get wet. Right? The baptismal call of faith is that every fiber of your being would be crucified with Christ, plunging completely into the water and raised totally into new life. See, maybe you're, you've been chasing after the wrong teaching. Maybe you find yourself in that. You're saying, man, I, I'm looking at my life and I don't see that good fruit. And I'm listening to this podcast. I'm following this guy and, and I, I, don't, I don't like what I'm seeing in myself. I don't like what I'm seeing in followers. It doesn't seem to be matching up. All right, I think we're drawn to those things even still because it's hard and it's scary to fully trust Jesus. To say that what he's saying is, is true. Right? We live in a world filled with untrustworthy people and untrustworthy things. So we say, Jesus, how can you possibly be true? But you can trust in this because the one who is demanding your full life is the one who gave his full life for you. That if you would believe in him with faith that results in good fruit, you would receive grace upon grace. 
the reality of life and that, and, and that every day somebody, something is trying to deceive you, right? Enticing you to walk away from Jesus in order to accept a weaker truth. Resist this. Beware of this reality and be on guard for yourself. Because Christian, you were made for more than a half measure of the kingdom. So today, will you put your full trust in Jesus? Willingly surrendering your full self to him. Right, don't settle for the lies and the half measure, but strive to remain on the hard path where you will find new life. And as you do that, he will hold you fast. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much um, just for your truth, Lord. You, you've made it clay, uh, just clear and plain to us, Lord, that we can know you. We can know what you've called us to, Lord, and we can use that um, to, to, to weigh um, other people's words, you know, other people are calling us to. Lord, you aren't a God of confusion. You are a God of mystery, certainly, where we can't fully grasp, but by faith we can cling to you and trust that what you've called us to is true and accurate, Lord. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, I pray that we would remember that Jesus himself gave his full life. So when he calls us and calls asks us for our full life, we can trust him. Lord, that as we leave this room, as we, as we battle and enter that, 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 that world that is, feels untrustworthy and filled with false teaching, Lord, that we can uh, cling to you, that we can know and have confidence that you will hold us fast in all those things, Lord. So we thank you and, and we give all this up to you in your holy and precious name. Amen.